Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Yvette Mayorga, a Chicago, Illinois-based multidisciplinary artist. Her work links feminized labor in the aesthetics of celebration to colonial art history and racialized oppression through the guise of using pink as a weapon of mass destruction. She holds an MFA in Fiber and Material Studies from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Yvette's work has been exhibited at the Museum of Art and Design in New York, the Vincent Price Art Museum in Monterey Park, California, El Museo de Barrio, the Los Angeles Museum of Contemporary Art, just to name a few. Recent projects include a large-scale installation for the City of Chicago's Permanent Public Art Collection at O'Hare's International Airport's Terminal 5, Yvette's first solo museum exhibition, What a Time to Be, at the momentary Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, will be on view through October of 2023. Her first East Coast solo museum exhibition, Dreaming of You, at the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum, is on view through March of 2024. Additionally, she has an upcoming solo exhibition in Guadalajara, Mexico. Yvette has been featured in several publications, including Art Forum, Art in America, Cultured Magazine, Dazed, Hyperallergic, Latina Magazine, The Guardian, The New York Times, to name a few. Her works are in the permanent collections of several museums, including, but not all, 21C Museum Hotels, Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, DePaul Art Museum, El Museo de Barrio, Museum of Fine Arts, Boston, and the New Mexico State University Art Museum. Please visit CerebralWomen.com for her expanded bio and enjoy this episode featuring Yvette Mayorga. Yvette, welcome to my podcast. I'm um, looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to keep chatting with you some more. When did you discover your artistic passion? I would say that I discovered my artistic passion as a child. You know, I was always drawing with my siblings. I'm the youngest of five. So it was always a space that we shared together, drawing, watching TV shows. And I think I also kind of wanted to be as cool as they were and fit in with the older kids. And so I sort of wanted to do what they did and then they were always drawing. And then I think naturally I started to see that I could also draw. And I think a defining moment to me, which maybe seems silly now, was in kindergarten, we had to recreate the Mona Lisa. 
as kindergartners, obviously. And I got an award and my artwork made it to like a local children's museum. And every year after that, one of my artworks would make it to, to this museum. And so I think that's kind of when I started to realized that I was good at drawing. I just didn't know what being an artist looked like because I had never met one. I had just studied them. How would you define your practice? I would define my practice to be very multimedia, spanning painting, installation, sculpture, and now public artwork. And the work is very multisensorial. It gives the illusion of various mediums acting as food. It gives the illusion that there's, you know, smell that you could taste it and very excessive, ornate. Yeah, I think that's how I would describe my work. As a multimedia artist, what aspect of your practice do you enjoy the most? As a multimedia artist, the process of creating the work is what I enjoy the most. So I'm working with baking piping decorating bags to to make all of my work whether it's painting sculpture installation and I think using this like very non-traditional method of painting is what I enjoy the most like being outside of the box being very non-traditional in my approach to to painting while also reminiscing on my mother's practice of being a baker you know in the 70s and kind of thinking about that time and also continuing to like memorialize her in the work is is a part that's very special to me in, in my work. Are there concepts or thoughts that connect the work? Yeah, there's various concepts. You know, my work is very much focused on my family's labor, my family's history, my family's craft that was sort of forgotten and not passed on, artistic craft from the moment that they migrated from Mexico to the US in, in the late 60s. And so my work really tries to create this sort of reimagined, an imaginary legacy that my family continues to work in these crafts and continuing to tell these stories through my work. And so I'm really interested in honoring this forgotten labor and naming my ancestors as artists while also um, you know, talking about the labors and the various labors that my family has, has contributed to, to the U.S. post-migration. And I'm also really interested in kind of dissecting and researching and thinking about this idea of the American dream, which I don't have an answer for, but it's sort of this continuous question that I'm really interested in answering, or maybe not answering, but just pondering over in my work. And what materials do you use? I use various materials. It's very non-traditional, but I will say that my work is mostly focused on using acrylic paint and inserting acrylic colored paint into a baking piping bag and using various, I have hundreds of piping tips to create different lines. So those are really like my main materials, you know, but I also, besides painting and working on the 2D scale, I'm working with sculpture, fiberglass, ceramics, installation, where I'm thinking about flooring, the walls, how to make a space immersive, and now public artwork, which entails a whole new set of materials. What is the process of choosing color? When did you start to work with your choice of pink? 
Yeah, so it's, it's been a long process. I would say that I started to really be interested in the color pink around 2012. In my practice, I started working with actual food and frosting before I transitioned to working with acrylic, obviously for archival reasons. None of that work exists anymore, but you know, it's it's in the archive. <laughs> but so through that process, I would come across a lot of various pinks and frosting. And I've always been sort of drawn to this idea of Mexican pink that, you know, architects have referenced like Baragan and, you know, a pink that's also found within Latinx neighborhoods here in the U.S. And so I've always been around Mexican pink and I really think that this kind of formed my taste and my aesthetic to then later on while using food in my practice to reference my mother's labor, I naturally became drawn to pink. And I'm really interested in, in pink as being the sort of underdog that often gets forgotten or, you know, pink has so many prescribed notions of gender, of, you know, being this sort of frivolous color that maybe can only do so much or make it to a point so far. And in my work, I like to think of it as being, you know, powerful as being this, that I quote, weapon of mass destruction is what pink is for me, just like baking labor is and all of these other kind of topics that often are the underdog. I like to think of them as being very powerful. So pink is kind of like another one of those tools and I guess like a warrior in my work. Do you feel that Hispanic or Latinx art can be defined? Definitely not. I don't think it can be defined now or ever. And to be honest, I, I like it that way. I'm really adamant about us continuing the narrative that as Latinx people, we're, we are not a monolith. And so I think defining it would go against that. And so I don't think that there is a way to define it. And it's a good thing. When do the titles of your work enter the creative process? You know, it's funny, sometimes I start a work, you know, as a drawing or a sketch, and then the title comes to me, you know, if I'm referencing a specific work within art history, I like to kind of play on the original works title and remake it with my own references. But then other times, it's towards the end of finishing a work, it's like when the work is almost done, the title comes to me, or sometimes I also have a list of like unused titles that I would like to use at some point. And naturally and intuitively, a title calls a work. And so I would say in those three ways, but usually it's always towards the end, something kind of, it's like an aha moment, like, oh, this makes sense. This is what I want to title it. This finishes the work. Do you listen to music while you're working? I do. I really do. I have to listen to music. It's kind of, you know, it's like the first thing that I do when, when I walk into my studio. I, I always have to turn my speaker on and, and put music on. And then that's kind of how I get started right now. It's like a rotation of the Marias, Danny Lux. It's funny. I'm like listening to the same kind of artist or music for the duration of making a body of work, which is really interesting. And then it shifts when I start something else. And what does your workplace look and feel like? I would say, you know, it's it's very clean. It's very organized, but also kind of like a chaotic, organized mess. I, I personally know where everything is, but <laughs> it, there's so many pieces and kind of like leftover remnants from several works that 
are stored in my studio, like, you know, maybe extra roses or petals that all mimic, you know, um, like icing. And so there's hundreds of them that are organized in the studio. Um, I also always have to repaint my floor every time that I finish a work, just because I, I find it really important to kind of like start with a clean palette, you know, not just only with my tools, but also with the studio. So then all of the other, you know, hundreds of references of cut out images that I have all over the walls also get moved and archived. But right now, if you were to walk into my studio, there's hundreds of images up on the wall from my exhibition at the, the Aldridge that will soon get taken down. But I always have to have something visual to look at and kind of to think about what I'm trying to say in the work or what I'm referencing. It's, I'm, I'm a, a visual person and I really have to feel like my space is surrounded by the thing that I'm interested in exploring at the moment. And while you're working, do you think about who your audience is? I've thought about this question before in my work and I would say that I'm not thinking deliberately about who my audience is because I'm making from such an intuitive place. But I would say that subconsciously, I probably am thinking about my audience because I think sometimes it can feel a little bit limiting to make work for one specific audience. And I want to go against anything that feels limiting in the studio. Do you think your audience understands your work? I think so, because I think my work can connect with various audiences from people who recognize the material, people who have a relationship to cakes, which I think we all do. We've all had some kind of a relationship with birthdays and this kind of ephemera. And, you know, there's also the vantage point of the social aspect, the social issues that I'm talking about. There's the part of referencing craft labor and all the art historical references and also talking about my specific experience as a woman of color. So I feel like there's several vantage points that any audience can enter the work. Share with us, have there been particular artists or a body of work that influenced you early on? Yeah, you know, an artist that I've always been really inspired by and it felt kind of like a full circle moment this year that I finally got to see Pepon Osorio's work in person. You know, I had studied him in undergrad in early 2000s and I just felt so drawn to his work and it was kind of like the first artist that I had seen create these, you know, multimedia immersive installations and something that I I had always aspired to as an artist to be able to create immersive spaces. And so this year I was installing my work at the Aldridge and I think his show closed on Sunday and I actually left installed to go catch his show. I drove into New York City and it felt like just such a defining moment in my work to finally be able to see this work in person was just like monumental for me. Seeing images of his work versus experiencing it is completely different. And it's just amazing to see the amount of work that he's been able to do over the years. 
And I would also say Amalia Mesa Baines, you know, Nikki de St. Fall, Nick Cave. Nikki's work actually just came up about maybe a year or two ago, and I was really kind of upset that I, I had just found out about her work. Just like so many other women artists that kind of get forgotten in art history, unfortunately, I felt like, wow, I... I should have known her work. I should have studied her work in art history and, you know, undergrad, grad school. How did I not know about her? Like she was such a genius, just one of a kind artist for her time that not only was she making ceramic works, but she was making these massive public art installations. Like one of my goals is to eventually go and see her tarot garden at some point. So just felt very inspired by her. And maybe it was meant to be that I found out about her now. It's funny how those things work out. How would you say your art professors impact your work and your, your practice? So art professors and art high school teachers have impacted my work. From high school, I had an art teacher who taught AP art, and he actually taught me and my other two siblings. And so I was the third Mayorga that he had taught. And he was just super dedicated to being a wonderful art teacher and immersing us in, in all the possibilities of of seeing ourselves in a career as an artist. And he would often invite different universities around the Midwest to come and speak to us. And so he really pushed me to think about pursuing a career in art because I had never met an artist before. I didn't know what having an artist studio looked like. I didn't know what being an artist could look like. And I feel like he was the first person that really showed me what it looked like and let me know that it was a possibility. And so I will always cherish that time I spent with him because it, it felt very monumental in my career. It's like if you can't see yourself do the do the thing or you don't see somebody that looks like you doing doing the thing, it's kind of hard to believe that it's possible. In undergrad, I also had professors working in very like a non-traditional experimental way that really also helped me engage my practice in that way and I will I would say that Having this kind of environment helped me to want to explore food as a material. And I think if I wasn't around this sort of non-traditional experimental space, it would be difficult for me to think about working with food, which is so interesting because it's really working with food is what has got me to this point and to what my practice looks like. So they were very important in my career. So tell me, what are you excited about right now? What I'm excited about right now is exploring the idea of public art within my practice and how my practice can evolve and grow within this medium. It's it's such a interesting space to to navigate and thinking about translating my material and my process into the public art world sphere and so it's challenging in all the best ways and you know that's what really is keeping me excited right now is just thinking about all of the possibilities and and translating my work in in this space and if you were not a visual artist what other career path do you think you would have chosen if i was not a visual artist i think i would be an interior designer because i actually kind of grappled with this idea of being an interior designer versus an artist 
as a younger person, um, you know, I spent a lot of time watching HGTV, but I think it, it actually kind of makes sense with my practice that I was so fascinated by interior design because now my work is so immersive and I'm thinking about installation and work that takes up space or has this kind of different experience for the viewer than, you know, just a, a 2D work. And so I think it really comes from, from me aspiring to be an interior designer at one point in my life. And I actually spent a whole summer, um, I think maybe I was like nine or 10, creating this like catalog with just like sheets of paper from like one of my notebooks of different furniture, like lamps, just different accessories that you could use for your home. And it was very futuristic and imaginative and all the colors that you could think of. And I actually titled the catalog like Rainbow Collection. <laughs> so, and I still have it. And I think that eventually it will it will make its way into my practice and influence some kind of work. Cause I think it's just, it's so interesting. I think I was so drawn to interior design because I was kind of always imagining what my home could look like rather than how it looked. Just always aspiring for something greater, always. And I think it's, it's really interesting. What do you feel is the purpose of art? The purpose of art is to look at the past, to uncover history, and to tell new truths. I think the purpose of art is to really look at the past to look into the future. And I also feel like that's my role as an artist. And I think it goes hand in hand. How do you keep learning? I keep learning by reading, being a human, enjoying life, listening to stories from others, researching, going into these research rabbit holes, seeing art in person, I think is really, really important to keep learning. And I think just being open to being a student of life and the world and, and being open to continuously Learning is what allows me to, to continue to learn. What do you feel is your role as an artist? My role as an artist is to be true to myself while also, you know, making space for, for stories that are important to me and I think should also be important to the world. Currently, I find it to be a very serious role where I'm coming up with an idea and I'm manifesting it into the 3D sphere. And so it's very important for me to say something within my work and to, to also think about how that can manifest and, and make a change in people's perspectives about a specific topic like immigration that is so dear. And I hold it so close to my heart because it's, it's a topic that has impacted my family's history and continues to impact many people's life currently as as we're seeing you know everything that's happening because of climate change because of all of these like political issues and we need to start thinking about what do what do borders actually mean and how are borders and this idea of of separating families and like the ecosystem how is this going to evolve there's definitely has to be a change and I really hope and aspire that my work can contribute to this dialogue and shift people's perspectives on, on this specific topic. I think that it would be a disadvantage if I didn't 
use my platform to tell my truth and my work is really what mine and my family's truth is. feels great to be able to provide the platform for you because I think it's very important to educate people. And so our conversation today educated some people and uh, I learned something about the color pink. So I want to make sure that everybody knew that you've been using Mexican pink since 2012. You were a pioneer in the, in the pink art world. <laughs> Thank yes. you so much for your time, Yvette. Thank you so much. It's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 